What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We were brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm. I am joined by Nicole Yang and good friend of the show, good pal, Ryan Heber, a.k.a. The Riffs, man. Riffs, how you doing, man? I'm fantastic, man. How are you guys doing? Zero complaints. Uh, we just suffered through, you know, 48 minutes of, of Celtics basketball, which uh, means watching the team go down by 20 and rally back and just inevitably not quite get over the hump. But we're here. Uh, we're doing well. And we wanted to have you on today for, for two reasons. Number one, it's always great to have you back. And number two, just wanted to give you a chance to kind of talk about uh, this event that you've got coming up next week. Tell us a little bit about it and what, you know, what you're trying to do, what people can expect, that kind of thing. Yeah, man. Uh, all right. So the idea of it is called the People's Tommy Point Charity Drive for 18. Just because I had been watching the team online and the watching kind of because of how this season has gone with COVID, with injuries, uh, with general people in the world having troubles and maybe going online and taking it out on everybody else, which I have actually been like definitely a culprit of in my own right. But in watching it, it just seemed like the vibe in the space was not what it can be in terms of a good environment. And so I had the idea a little while ago that I was going to just start doing a small donation every game to Marcus's charity, just as kind of like a penance for partaking in the whole thing. And, and what it turned into is my friend, Rich Levine, who is in day-to-day coverage of the team for many years, uh, reached out to me with the concept of, Hey, let's put a, a charity drive together and let's do a telethon style thing where we reach out to some former players. We get some different people who have a lot of different talents in, in the local media and in the community online. And let's do something good with it. And so what we went about doing was uh, reaching out to some former players and some people involved with the team in terms of media. We've gotten some cooperation, some people to lend their time to us, which has been really great. We talked to Mike Gorman. I talked to Dino Roger the other day. He told me I kind of look like a member of ACBC, which was cool. <laughs> and uh, we're just going to put together a telethon style thing. And we're going to try to work to coordinate it with Marcus's charity personally. But if not, we're still going to send all the donations that way, even if that doesn't work out. But right now we're in contact with them and we're getting it together. And we have we have some more special guests aside from those who I already mentioned. And basically what we're going to do is it's on May 13th. Uh, it's at eight o'clock PM. We're probably going to go for like three hours. And as soon as we get the charity coordinated, it's going to go up on Tuesday and we're going to have open donations from then until that the end of it on that Thursday night. So at the very end of it, we'll present all of it to him. What about that charity appeals to you? What, what about what he does uh, appeals to you? I just think he, he fights for everybody, like the way he plays basketball, the way he, he lives his life. He fights for like the underdog in, in his life from my readings and just listening to interviews, it seems like he was heavily affected by both his mother and losing his brother to terminal cancer. And he uses that charity to help out in what I think is like mutual aid for those kids 
who are going through it who may not have the money to deal with how hard that is or the resources personally to deal with how hard that is. And that inspires me and I think aligns with how I view the world. So it was it was easy for that. And I just think like the way, like I got into watching day-to-day basketball, you know this at a, a very low point in my life. He's helped me personally watching him. Watching the Celtics has helped me personally. It just struck me as the right thing to do at the right time when things are kind of bad environmentally in the whole sphere and the, the season's not going so great. When you think about just how hard things have been the last year, two years, I thought it was just cool to do something nice for people. Like so much of what we go on to online now is just like to flout our own opinions or beat down on people to look smart or do this or do that. But like we can use it to do positive things too. And I think that was like my lesson. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like your approach to Twitter and like the online discourse has sort of evolved a lot yeah I think it was just like a personal evolution I made a lot of changes personally in the last couple of months and year it just stopped being fun for me online like a thing I'm known for like everybody knows who knows me is like the time lord thing and I started that as like just like kind of like lightly ripping the people who were giving him trouble about it and then it evolved into something bigger and I never really thought about it like ever getting as big as it was to where people were mentioning it on ESPN or anything like that and uh, that kind of like shifted my perspective about like what kind of energy and what kind of like attitude or positivity I'm putting out into the world I just looked around a lot and it wasn't it wasn't it for me anymore. Yeah. It just wasn't happening that way. And I didn't like it. And I started to view interactions way differently. And and that, and that was a good lesson for me. I mean, like you can make mistakes and how you approach things and then alter them. And that's a positive thing, I think. Totally. And like this event feels like sort of what I think you are striving for, which is just like a way to still enjoy the Celtics, raise money for a good cause and like bring together this community. Yeah. And I've tried, I've tried to always stay positive about the seas and stuff like that. I've, I mean, I've obviously made some jokes that were probably not the smartest in the world, but uh, I've always tried to stay upbeat about them, but things just really like for me, just watching it. And it's like, I know, I know people depend on them to win and be a part of their lives and stuff like that. But I just kept watching it, like just the way I viewed the environment of online changed entirely. Like, I've never seen it to where, like, Jeff Van Gundy was the main positive voice in the world about the Boston Celtics. And that, like, threw me through a loop. But I I just think uh, it's okay to change your approach to things and try to do things differently that are, like, more beneficial to not only other people, but I don't know. Watching how it's gone down this year has made me feel not so great about how I've consumed basketball or trash talk people in the past. I think at the end of the day, when I thought about it, common recognitions of humanity were more important than clout. I just straight up, like, the more I thought about it and kind of realigned my uh, perspective, like, I had all these Twitter followers or whatever, and, like, what was I using it for, (laughs) you know? And, and so it just dawned on me that I have basically unlimited possibilities about what I can do with it. That was just it. I just changed the way I was thinking about it. Before we before we move on here, let's talk about the event itself. You know, for all of this like very serious talk, it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, oh, it's going to be hilarious! Yeah, it's great. <laughs> like, can you give us a little bit of a preview? I mean, you know what people can expect, and just I mean, like, is this going to be on Twitch? Like, how are you going to go about all this stuff? We're going to do our best to simulcast it on a, a multitude of uh, platforms. YouTube Live is going to be one of them. 
it's going to just depend on how my tech guy gets it, but it'll all be up on the 13th on multiple platforms. Uh, what we're going to do is it's almost going to be like a variety show. It's going to be me, my friend, Sean Hyken, who's a writer, uh, my friend, Eric Garcia Gunderson, who's a writer and uh, Rich Levine, who helped me out to really get everybody in together for this. What we're going to do is we're going to air a bunch of segments that are interviews. We're going to have like a multimedia experience. Our friend Efren Ramos is an incredible audiovisual tech guy, and he's done some animations. It's what you could expect from me in terms of the things I like. We're going to have like a psychedelic music experience. We're going to have some comedy. It's going to be a fun time. We're going to have some surprise guests. The best thing, I think, is just to bring in some people together and trying to have a lighthearted time and uh, raise some money in the process of doing so. It's going to be really good, I think. Proud to say the Geno time will be involved. We're really, really excited to be yes. a part of this. And you've, um, yeah, I think this is a really good idea. Um, I, I'm really pumped about it, you know, for the Celtics community, for, for you, for uh, for Marcus's charity, for everyone. I, I hope people uh, take part and really enjoy it because I, I think you're right. I think this is I think this is much needed just, just in general. Uh, I, I think this is a really good idea. So uh, everybody who's listening, make sure you follow at Riffsman um, on Twitter. Um, yeah, I mean, anything else that you want to that, that you want to make sure we uh, that we get in here? The whole the whole point of it. And the whole point of whatever I'm talking about is we should just have fun, just have fun all the time. Definitely. So on the, on the note of having fun all the time, uh, you guys want to talk a little Celtics heat? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> all right. <excellent>. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, so we're recording this Sunday night uh, after the Celtics went down 26 to the Heat, rallied back, ended up losing, I believe it was 130 to 124. Just a... Tough game from a standings perspective. Throw it out to you guys. Uh, takeaways from this one, takeaways just from where things stand now as the Celtics are likely kind of looking at the play-in game here. I think Brad kind of nailed it in the his post-game press conference. Like, when this team is not engaged, they have no chance. Like, they can't fake it. This team needs to be engaged. Otherwise, they don't play good basketball. And I don't know why that is, but they don't play defense and – Obviously, things just get out of control really quickly. And then once they try and mount any sort of comeback, you essentially have to be perfect. And that's really hard to do, especially against a good opponent. So it's mind boggling why they can't be engaged, especially during a game that has like pretty high importance. Tuesday will be interesting because that's essentially a must win if they want to avoid the playing game. Now there are two games behind Miami. That will give Miami the tiebreaker if they win on Tuesday. So they basically have to win. So I don't think you can really draw up higher stakes for a regular season game than Tuesday. And if they come out flat again, then I don't know. I just, maybe this year isn't it. Sort of like what we've been saying all along. I mean, this has been kind of a, a story of the entire season uh, in terms of falling down. They, they don't give up, but it's hard, I think, sometimes to come into it with a connectedness when they don't always have the same lineups available. I know it's a no excuse game, but I think a lot of the time the mental connectedness is so crucial. The timing is so crucial and the trust to know that guys are going to be in the same place all the time is really crucial. When I saw Miami really picking on them today, 
it was when they knew that Tatum was unsure of where the next guy is going to be. And yeah. they ate him alive when they realized it. And I don't think that's a judgment on Tatum or anybody else really so much. I think, I think when people talk about selfishness or whatever with passing, I think passing, you can want to make the right pass and that can be selfless. But if you don't know where everybody's going to be at the right exact time and don't have that trust, and that's when you say trust, it's not like a moral judgment on these guys. It's just like knowing when people are going to be in the right place. Sometimes when you don't trust it, you become unsure and you stick to maybe isolation basketball, whereas side to side movement is the remedy to it. And I think because of the the lack of continuity from a even like a half to half basis with the roster, I think sometimes because of that, they get into their not worst habits, but they, they can do things that are a little bit destructive in terms of how they share the ball or how they reject a screen or how they, they just play in general. And I think defense is so much a trust and communication based art form and tactic and approach to the game. I think it's just been really difficult when you don't have guys who you can rely upon to be there to form any sort of chemistry whatsoever. And maybe that's an excuse because I just see the world through green tinted shades. But I do think there's something to having a really good off season and a really good camp in developing that kind of mental connectedness to where you're on the same wavelength. I think you have to think that because if you look at the Celtics team, like, so today, uh, Evan Fournier had 30 points and eight assists. Kemba Walker had 18 efficient points and six assists. Aaron Neesmith had 16. Like, you know, Tatum didn't have like a super elite game and he had 29 points, you know, six assists and five rebounds. Like there's so much talent on this team. And it does seem like, I think, cause I, I think you're right. Like Tatum seemed to struggle a little bit, not knowing, um, you know, he, so he had three turnovers. Smart had six turnovers. I don't think they were selfish turnovers. Like I think about smart, you know, trying to pass to Tristan Thompson in the post and, you know, just got picked off by Bam. Like, again, it just didn't necessarily mm-hmm. look like the Celtics kind of were on the same wavelength. Like, continuity really is a huge factor in this. I don't even think, like, you know, I, I know the Celtics would say, well, we're not trying to make excuses and, you know, mm-hmm. that too. But it's like, you know, at some point, excuses are, like, it also can be facts. Like, the Celtics just yeah. haven't had any healthy, any continuity. The, this team hasn't been particularly good. This season just hasn't, it just hasn't worked. Like they just haven't been good this year. And I don't think it's an indictment on, certainly don't think it's an indictment on them as people. And I also don't necessarily think it's an indictment on them as players. I just think that this like collectively isn't really working. We talked about that a little bit before the show started and something that's kind of the phenomenon about this team that I don't think people have really thought about a lot is that every player development that had to happen for them to be good did happen that's kind of been like the thing that I think confuses everybody about why it isn't working. I mean, Jason has taken step steps forward. Even after he had COVID uh, Rob became the starter, like everybody needed him to do. Jalen got better. Neesmith and Pritchard, both in my opinion, like Neesmith lately has been a revelation and PP's really like exceeded my expectations for anything he'd ever like, <laughs> like guys have been good. Fournier's gotten it together after his COVID. He's been sensational straight up he's been a way better defender than I ever expected him to be and so you have this strange year in which everybody got better but it didn't work it's it's turned into making like moral judgments on people that I just don't see why we should do that if you look at it Peyton Pritchard is leading the team in games right now if you look at the uh, the other teams whose top like games played is by a rookie all of those teams are in the low lottery I think it's like a minor miracle that they're 35 and 33 or whatever it is they are, because it could be way worse. 
but it could also be way better, which I think is the whole confusing thing. Sometimes maybe it just wasn't meant to be. Maybe there was a different type of lesson in this season. Yeah, and I think that hits on our optimism for next season and mm-hmm. how good this team really can be. But to like some of the previous points, like, yeah, the Celtics have been probably one of the league's biggest disappointments. The Celtics have played bad basketball. They lost games they shouldn't have, but they have not been selfish. None of these games are a result of, or none of these losses are a result of selfishness. Like, I don't know why that's become a topic. Yeah, I'd like to point out to one play in particular that I think of. They had a sequence in one of the very close close losses they had and it whipped around to every player on the court and Marcus made the extra pass to the corner and and Evan was too winded to get there (laughs) and the ball went flying out and everybody freaked out but I mean that's a selfless play to to be smart and not take that shot and look for the corner it's just a guy who was supposed to be there had COVID and had no (laughs) breath because it was his first game back I think I think that just kind of encapsulated the year for me to the point about continuity, I think like when you don't have players available, not only does that disrupt building relationships and consistency, but it also forces people to play out of their role or like play one step above that they might not be ready for. So there's just so many domino effects when you are battling injuries or COVID or just not having your best players available. So obviously the Celtics have said they're not trying to make excuses, but I think that is a pretty strong explanation for some of their struggles this year. And that means yeah. it's like the loss to the Thunder is still inexcusable. Like we're not trying to say like all of this is fine, but I I think it just helps contextualize everything that's going on. I assume I assume Brad and Tatum take it way worse than anybody online or any of us. So it's interesting. Brad hates this so much. Like you could hear it every time he talks. He's miserable. He hates this. He sounds so miserable. Like for someone who loves basketball so much. And like today, I mean, you know, he's he's asked questions about this about this game, and you know, he's he's giving like a lot of respectable, respectful answers. Like you know, try to and, and like you know, guys are asking him about defense and stuff like that. And Brad's like, yeah, I mean, yes, I know what's happening. Like I like he, he basically said like I know I know what's happening. I'm not gonna tell you. You know, I'm sure he doesn't want to hang guys out to dry. I'm sure he understands just as well as we do. Again, this season has been a confluence of a lot of really ridiculous factors that sound like excuses, but a lot of times I think they are explanations. It hasn't been great up until this point, but I've seen a lot in them in that they haven't given in entirely because a lot of a lot of teams go one, two, three Cancun. So I think there is a high degree of character because they also haven't turned their guns on each other either. And that's really big. So I think Okay, what, whatever happens in the play-in, if they end up in it, or the playoffs, they have practices during that. So I think they can be a little bit better with execution, whatever scenario it is. I think the energy in the, in the arenas is going to be a little bit better wherever it is. So we'll see how that goes. I'm positive that they can make a little bit of noise, and we'll just see if they get lucky a little bit with Rob and Jalen down the stretch because that seems to be the pressing matter. And I wouldn't like to see them jeopardize their futures for whatever short-term gains that can be had. I think, especially with turf toe or, I mean, Jalen has knee tendonitis. That seems to be very obvious, like all year since, since after he got done carrying kind of the team on his own, when Jason and Marcus were out, it seems like he, he got worn down a little bit through the stretch of it. We'll just see how it goes in the playoffs, but I'll tell you what, if they, if they get a good draft pick and nail it, to really provide, I think, more more ball movement. Another ball mover would be really, really crucial. 
or if maybe even if they move that pick to get a veteran ball mover, you add that to the existing formula and get a little bit of luck with health. I think this team is, has talent on par with almost anybody. There's going to be a couple of uh, pretty nice looking ball movers in this year's draft too. Um, so I'll be curious to see how they end up doing that. I was shocked that Robert Williams was even available tonight, or I, I guess this afternoon, especially when you listen to Brad after the Bulls game or before the Bulls game. when he said that when he was talking about Rob and he was like, yeah, like this isn't ideal. Like I'm not sure about his availability for all of next week. And then all of a sudden he's probable and plays on the very next game. And that just seems shocking, especially given how turf toe, like I know turf toe is kind of like an injury. You can force your way through the pain, I guess, but I don't know. It just, I feel like that was not necessary. Like I get, they realize the stakes here and they want to win. And this is an important game, but clearly his status was very tenuous because he didn't come back then for the second half. So I, I just thought that that was a little, I don't know, kind of unnecessary to risk it. Not that all like turf toe is the same, obviously, but like Devonte Adams missed four weeks with turf toe and his initial projection was two to six weeks. And in football, there's a lot more like cutting and like pressure on your feet. So like, it's mm-hmm. not going to take Rob like that long. It just seems like given Rob's like health history, it probably would have been safer for them to just sit him um, and let him like fully recover than to, to go forward with that. I don't know. I thought it was, I was just surprised by his availability tonight. Yeah. I would have preferred he just sat until whatever the date is that things become real in the playoffs. Yeah. And I think the argument would be that like, today was the day that it became real for the Celtics. Yeah, true. Because if they're trying to get out of the play-in game. But, I mean, that said, like, they also tried that with Gordon Hayward last year, and that didn't work at all. And, I mean, I I think to a certain extent what probably happened is that they went to Rob and said, you're not going to make it worse, but, like, if you're uncomfortable, you can probably take the day off. And Rob was, like, you know, probably said, I want to play because everybody wants to play. Nobody wants to sit out. And then here we are. I think he's been pretty much like, if you consider what he's already gone through with like injuries and stuff, he's been pretty much a warrior this season. His conditioning got way better. Basically everything about his game has improved massively around that. I think he's had a a really solid season. And I think he's been kind of an underrated force in terms of when they did play good. I wouldn't say all of it, but he was conducive to so much of the good ball movement. He provides like just a different vantage in terms of a passer, because when you're that much taller or longer than everybody else, you can see things that other people can't before they happen. He was 10 and two as a starter, something like that. It was going to trend towards being better than that. And then things just didn't break the right way with that. But I think he's, I think he showed he's the guy going forward at center, which is one of the things you'd want to have seen this year. He was like the spark plug for their little resurgence earlier this season. Like, I feel like he played a huge role in that. And and that's why I think they should be prioritizing his health moving forward, especially in his like history. Like Rob needs to be healthy. I think that's a really encouraging sign for the Celtics too, incidentally, is that they have so many guys on this team that it's like important that they like keep and keep healthy. Like, I, I know that hasn't necessarily worked together, but the fact that like, you've got all these players who are this good, like you've got Fournier and it's like, yeah, you need to re-sign that guy. He's really good. You've got Rob and it's like, yeah, you need, you should probably extend him and like, you need to keep him healthy. He's really good. You know, you've got Neesmith and Pritchard and it's like, yeah, you should get these guys some reps because they're really good. That's all, that's all super positive for, you know, for this team. Like that, those are all reasons to be encouraged. There's a lot of real value on this team, even beyond, you know, the core. I think there's a lot of value in whatever this thing was for Jalen and Jason. They they experienced a year in 2018, 19, that that team has so much talent on it and they could get it together. 
there were different needs on that team for different people. And that's not like a, again, that's not a character assessment. Some guys were in contract years. Some guys needed different roles to be like more fulfilled. And that's cool. That team turned its guns on each other a lot. There was an incident in one of the huddles in Miami of all places, you know what I mean? During today's game. I mean, but uh, there were some things that went wrong and some finger pointing, but this year there never was any finger pointing, I don't think. And I think that's really important for them. If you're talking about them as leaders, they never put it on anybody else. I think Jalen said he was losing sleep thinking about how he could better lead it. I think they've taken it seriously. I think they've been empathetic to teammates. I mean, I just haven't seen anybody blame anybody. And I haven't really seen any finger pointing in games either. I mean, I've seen frustration, but I haven't seen that. So I think there was a lot that they took out of it. And Jalen and Jason have always had kind of a security blanket, whether it be Al Horford, Kyrie for part of a year. They've always had guys who are secure in their position as the star or kind of the alpha on the team. And that was the same of Kemba last season. I think Jason took the reins, but Kemba was still there and still healthy. When Kemba got hurt, that dichotomy changed entirely. This season was about learning it ain't so easy, <laughs> you know. It, it's it's difficult. I mean, it's it's difficult to be, I mean, they're in a lot of ways going through the problems that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons had early in their year with inconsistent rosters that fostered conversation about inconsistent coaching. Maybe that was their lesson for the year, and that's going to have an effect on everything they do going forward. Even bad years have some type of value. I know Paul Pierce said he couldn't have readily accepted what the big three was had he not gone through years where he was all alone, putting up big numbers and not feeling fulfilled about that. Like when the right moment hits for you to win a championship or go on a great run or be something like that, it seems like all the greats have had some kind of lesson that they had to go through. And that seems to not be the case with like the Larry Birds, Bill Russells or Magic Johnsons, but those are like total outliers in the history of sports guys who came in tim duncan like those are the four guys who came in and did it right away but how many guys didn't do it right away or didn't do it till the end of their career they had to go through something and uh i think i think as leaders they had to go through something this was the year where you do that and let's see what they build off of it oddly i think about the cavaliers quite a bit when i think about this like because i think about like darius garland and like colin sexton and like all the like the really young guys there who are just put in charge of the team and told go figure it out right and those guys put up numbers and a lot of times they look like empty numbers because these guys are, are young and they're trying to learn how to win and they have no idea how to do it but they're just kind of fumbling their way through and then eventually i think that darius garland and colin sexton are probably going to be able to win some games together because i think mm-hmm. they're both you know good players and like the jalen and jason development has just been so different because they were thrown into a position where they had to try to win right away you know they were trying to do it with security blankets there but they weren't necessarily given the reins and told go win by yourselves which would have come with growing pains I think that one of the things that might be true with this Celtics team is that like Jalen and Jason developed faster and became guys who could win a little faster but because they had that security blanket because they had Al Horford or you know Gordon Hayward and Kemba Walker or whatever it was over the years it just like, you know, like when they were just given the full reins and they were given that like Colin Sexton, you know, Darius Garland level role, maybe it's just been a little bit harder and like, you know, they're further along in the development curve, but it just like looks a little different because they were never given, hey, go out and make a lot of mistakes and learn how to win. Well, also usually when players are given those reins, it's on a bad team. Exactly. Yeah. The expectations are so low. Like Exactly. I think that all I think that has all been like a very weird part of this that's probably a little under talked about. 
I've created a theory about basketball called organ rejection based on the Boston Celtics. Whenever, uh, whenever they bring a guy back, they all get confused because they've shifted roles so many times and they've shifted pecking order so many times. I mean, it usually seems like Jalen has his best games when he knows he's the number, when he knows he's the 1A. And Kemba knows he is the best when he's 1A to Tatum. And uh, when they get back, you think, oh, they're going to get it together because they're fully healthy. And then that doesn't happen and everybody's confused about it. But it's just like, it's knowing where your shots are coming from constantly. It's knowing, just just knowing where things are going to be all the time. And they just didn't know that this year. What they have to figure out this offseason is who's going to be the loudest voice on the team, uh, who's going to be the emotional leader in their roles, who's going to be the guy who it comes down to in terms of defensive responsibility and calling signals. I don't know that it's possible for Tatum to carry as much as he does on offense and be that guy on defense. It doesn't seem a lot of the times reasonable this season. Maybe it's something he will do. It's just going to take like another year or so. Like when we had KG, he was a big part of the offense, but he fo- he, he was like, I'm going to lock it down on defense and I'm going to be the signal caller. I'm going to be the guy who shuts down half of the court and blows up every single pick and roll. And Paul and Ray are going to carry me a lot of nights on offense. And you do have to be that guy if you're going to be a superstar in the NBA. But expecting him to do what he did in the playoffs where he was the best defender, led the team in points, rebounds, and assists, that's pretty insane. He's a young player and not everybody is LeBron James level, period. For sure, yeah. I mean, expecting Jason Tatum to be LeBron James is a uh, is a tall task, even though I think that uh, Jason Tatum is going to be an MVP level player at some point. So before we before we wrap it up here, I, the one, one other thing I wanted to touch on, just because it was the Celtics honor Tommy Heinsohn today before the game, Mike Gorman talked a little bit about just like Abby was asking him, you know, how tough this season has been. And I just thought, I mean, I just thought some of his quotes were really heartbreaking. Uh, Abby asked him, you know, like, what has the season been like? And, and, and Gorman was like empty in a lot of ways. You know, it has no reflection on, on Scal. Um, but 40 years of doing something with somebody and then to have to stop, it's been difficult. Um, you know, and, and Mike, you know, he had to stop a couple of times while he was talking, he was clearly struggling a little bit with it. And I just like, I don't even necessarily know, like what, like if I have like a point with this, I just, this, I I feel really bad for Mike. This has been a, I'm sure this has just been like a really, really hard season for him. I got to talk to Mike and it was one of the highlights really of my life. I don't think of Mike Gorman alone and I don't think of Tommy Heinz alone. I've always said Mike and Tommy, like it's Mike and Tommy. That's forever what it is. And now one half of that is gone and the other one has to figure it out for himself. And I got a sense of like, when I talked to him, we, we got some funny Tommy stories. We got one out of him and I sense such a joy in him that, you know, Tommy was, I mean, we should all just be so happy that Tommy was in our lives that was a huge loss for our community and Casey Jones was too. I talked about it with Mike too. He said, he said that different people had been like, Oh, Mike's lost it. But if you look at the behind the scenes, he's not there in person. He's often uh, relying upon the broadcast feed of like the home broadcast. So you get these cuts and you get these, these TV views that he's never dealt with before in his career. And consequently, it's led to a less energetic broadcast. And this is something he told me, like he he told me he doesn't feel like it's as good as his standard, basically. I mean, he's an Emmy winner. This this is a guy who takes his craft very seriously. He just said it's been a, a trying thing and it feels sometimes frantic and it feels 
sometimes frustrated and you still go through with it as a pro. And I thought that was also a great kind of emblematic thing of what the players are going through on a different scale. It's everybody, everybody in life right now is going through a different thing. Things are kind of getting a little bit more normal, but I mean, not really. (laughs) My shift is I'm just going to try to be better and more understanding to other people and try to be a little bit less judgmental. I never know what somebody's dealing with. That's one of the things is like when I interact with somebody online, I have no idea what they're going through or what their life has been like. If I am on there, I try to be more positive. And if I see things that I don't like, I try to make a positive statement on it instead. That's just been my shift. And one of the things that's difficult too is like when you go through all these things and things feel different, it's like easy to lose your sense of humor about it too. <laughs> like I got to keep my sense of humor about things because that's important. But uh, things have changed. I think it's important that people come together as a community when they can. And I think uh, to wrap things up here, I would just remind everyone that a good chance to do that um, is the People's Tommy Point Charity Drive for 18 um, that the Rifts Man is putting on May 13. Be a part of the community. Be a part of the good parts of the of the Celtics community because there's still a lot of them. There's still a lot of good people. Follow uh, Rifts Man at Rifts underscore man on Twitter. Um, Ryan's going to have you know a lot of stuff on there about this. But again, May 13, People's Tommy Point Charity Drive for 18. More concrete information will be available starting on Tuesday leading in. That's hopefully when we start opening up for donations. So thank you guys for having me. Uh, thank you guys for your coverage and everything. And let's go seize baby love to seize. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, he's the riffs, man. You can follow uh, myself and Nicole on Twitter at Tom underscore NBA at Nicole C. Yang. Uh, definitely follow Nicole. She tweets a lot. Um, again, uh, make sure you check that out. Thank you everybody for listening and we will talk to you all again next week.